Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. We got plenty to get into today. Novak Djokovic in Astana, winning the title, which is uh, makes it two in a row uh, since his comeback after winning Wimbledon. So really, you can go back. It's more than two in a row. Um, and we also want to talk about news today about uh, Australian Open 2023, Djokovic partic- Djokovic's participation, plus Roger Federer won't be taking part in the trophy ceremony or won't be uh, involved in the Basel event coming up. And we'll talk about what we feel like might be uh, in store for Federer in, um, in his post-playing career in general. So let's start with Astana. Um, I found the semifinal against Medvedev to be far more intriguing and interesting than the final against Tsitsipas. So uh, let's start with that. And Joel, I mean, what did what did you make of of how that ended? You know, we kind of have that mystery surrounding the match because Medvedev had to retire after losing the second set tiebreak. That was strange. That was so strange. It was a lot of good tennis, some good rallies. Though it's interesting, like, I said this before, watching Medvedev now in the wake of the emergence of Alcaraz, Medvedev looks to me like sort of older, like an older style. It's like I, Alcaraz is like exciting. He's like my uh, my MacBook desktop computer. And here's Medvedev, solid and really good and played so um, well. And he he missed this volley at five all in the second set tiebreak. Give me forehand volley. If he makes that, he's at match point. So then what does he do knowing that he thinks he's injured? Because then he loses the next point, loses the set, and then pulls out of the match. So it was a very strange sequence of events. I thought that, sorry, I I thought that there will be people who say that Medvedev could have won the match. And what I saw was Djokovic employing sort of a -a rope-a-dope type strategy, not that Medvedev's a a dope, but um, that was the famous Muhammad Ali uh, strategy that he employed in the Rumble in the Jungle, which is basically, um, you know, throw punches, not particularly first strike or heavy punches, but just run the guy, run the guy bring him forward, run him side to side. And, you know, after a while, um, he's going to give out and he's going to fatigue. And uh, not only did that happen, but unfortunately he hurt his leg. But I think if the match had been able to play out, um, Medvedev would have fatigued and at some point Djokovic would have taken over. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm halfway with you there. Um, I do think that Djokovic, you know, Medvedev was doing the vast majority of the running in the match. I do think that was by design. I think Novak was trying to change things up and be very proactive in terms of his aggression. And, you know, that can come at the cost of errors. In the first set, it did. You know, both the both the games that Djokovic got his serve broken, Medvedev did nothing special offensively. It was just Djokovic trying to make something happen and and missing. 
Um, and I, I do think that's kind of a long-term play to wear out Medvedev's legs. Mm -hmm. That being said, I mean, I, it's, I don't know how much you can say that Djokovic, you know, could have made this happen again in terms of Medvedev getting injured. Like, I, I wouldn't want to give credit to Djokovic for Medvedev's injury. No, I think it, it's not credit. It's it's just a result that um, an outcome that um, is not surprising. Put it that way. That Medvedev got injured. Yeah, I mean the amount of running that he was having to do and stretching and um, you know I think I texted you guys at some point during the match saying it's really not surprising that he gave out like that because um he was being run all over the court and particularly with drop shots being brought forward and having to stretch for those things well, on that tie break there was a drop shot convention i mean i think there are at least five if not seven i mean it was both of them to each other the whole well let, let's be clear about why medvedev was doing that he wanted the point to end. He didn't want to move. He was injured. Right. He, he wasn't doing that right. until he got hurt. Well, that's right. So there you go. So he needs his hurt is maybe the result of all the exertion and he hadn't played Novak in a while. This is such a, this is such a strange tennis year between the tennis Novak has missed between the role of Wimbledon and the Russians and the points and just so many things have happened in this tennis year that have been strange, but here's Novak. He looks, Scott, he looked, he sure looked fresh that whole tournament, just like he did in Tel Aviv better than Tel Aviv, right? There were like, there was no tension, no nerves at any point uh, this week. And I thought in Tel Aviv there was. Um, we'll, we'll see about about Medvedev and, and moving. I think every time Medvedev plays a great player, he's going to be doing a ton of running, especially on return games, because he doesn't actually, the way he plays baseline rallies, I mean, it's it's not very, I just think he gets dictated a lot, but he's such a good scrambler. So that's kind of yeah, how I see it. I think this again gets to my Alcaraz thing about seeing a player like Alcaraz and even Taylor Fritz and these aggressive baseline players, how they're going to grapple with Medvedev now. You know, there's a lot of knowledge about how to play Medvedev now. He doesn't seem he doesn't seem shiny and 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 great to me, like the way he did even a year ago after he won the U.S. Open, and you know he's in that Australian Open final. He seems a little more like hmm, kind of have an idea of how to play him now. But I thought this was the best he's played since Australia, and he was oh, in position to. We've seen him much this year. When we've seen him, he hasn't looked great. And no, uh, if I'm if I'm a Medvedev fan, I'm feeling so much better after Astana. Uh, you know, I he was in position to beat Novak. He had a good game plan there. He was playing with him, and he got hurt in the second set tiebreak at at right. Love One. So if I'm a Medvedev fan, I'm feeling or Medvedev, I'm feeling much better now. Amy, what do you think of Novak's reaction after Medvedev? Uh, shook hands. I mean, he was clearly surprised, but he, it looked like he was, you know, it was weird because he was moving on to the final in that way, success, but he seemed like he wanted to keep playing. He was almost frustrated. Well, I think the cameras picked up that I, I'm not, can't remember what language they were speaking, but it, it came out that Medvedev told Novak at the net that I hurt my leg or my ankle and I can't go anymore. And I think my takeaway was that Novak felt bad for him 
like here we are we're locked in this great battle don't we want to see the outcome and novak felt bad that it just couldn't be played out that was my takeaway yeah i'd agree with that i think that's true and then of course okay i'm sorry that's unfortunate oh i won how about that i mean it was also again it was also sudden because there weren't massive signs of medvedev being injured it appeared that we were on the way to the third set and i kind of um logic says what amy was speaking about it's like you just see novak kind of squeezing even more in that third set you kind mm-hmm. of take in all the measure of medvedev and and medvedev had been haunted how close he was but again i wonder so if medvedev wins if Medvedev reaches match point does he default given that he defaulted that, that uh, subsequently i don't I, or does he think Joel, you always bring that one up yeah, <laughs> well, the answer is only if he's 100 percent sure he can't play so he doesn't so he probably would have thought win this match we'll see what tomorrow is i know okay he, he would have it would have been a default i have no right i mean he would have if he makes that volley at five all wins match point i don't think he plays the final and i think tt pass wins the title i mean that's my We'll never know. That's what but I think. Joel, Joel always gives the example of the guy who yeah. default. I'm Gorman. He's one of the Davis right. Cup captain. Right. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. John Newcomb But, but the, pr- the prize money is an issue and the points, right? Well, no, there are many factors, but we don't, that's, that's kind of. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I Sorry. It's okay. We'll it's avoid okay. the rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I thought the competitor in Djokovic really wanted to figure Medvedev out and start to really outplay him. And I think Novak, after he won the second set, we saw how emotional the reaction was. I think he couldn't wait to play that third mm-hmm. and to try to to win the match. Um, and Absolutely. then he felt like he felt like, oh, th- that's it. <laughs> so <laughs> right. I thought it was a, a real. Um, display of Djokovic's competitiveness that he wasn't even really happy to win that way. Um, let's let's go on to the final. I hope it's not too loud as there seems to be an emergency outside of my place. Um, the focus really stood out to me. The difference between Djokovic and Tsitsipas in playing point in and point out with a, an intense laser focus and intensity because, you know, Novak lost six points on serve. There were no dips. I don't think he made two mistakes in a row the entire match. And uh, Tsitsipas, there were just a few moments in the first set and the second set where it just went completely off the rails, break a serve, and and that's it. Uh, It felt like there was a big gap mentally in Djokovic's ability to focus versus Tsitsipas's ability to uh, maintain, you know, the level that he's capable of. That's how I saw the final. That's why I thought it was as uncompetitive as it as it was. Joel? Yeah, I would agree. I think, uh, look, I think this is the way this matchup goes. I think this is the way this matchup goes. I mean, the, the two-handed backhand versus the one-handed backhand, the Tsitsipis limitations, the probably the, the closest he's come is in that, I mean, in the more recent period was that 21 Roland Garros final. And I think Novak taking the measure and, Tsitsipas, how he can hurt him. And Novak, such a good mover, so in control of both of all parts of his game. I just I just didn't see that uh, Stefanos was, was in that match, really. It's just kind of dominated, wire to wire. I mean, the score seems, yeah, it's a nice effort, but he was thoroughly in control. I actually wrote a story about this because I was seeing a lot of comments online about uh, how Novak 
should be going to the Tsitsipas backhand more. I mean, he was he was going to it quite a bit, but um, the 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 conventional wisdom is that you need to hammer that backhand um, because it'll break down. But actually, everyone does that, and because Tsitsipas is constantly hitting backhands. It actually holds up pretty well, especially if you start charting the matches. And so I decided to look very closely at the two breaks of serve, Novak when he broke Tsitsipas in each set. And both of the times it came off Tsitsipas forehand errors overwhelmingly. In fact, in both of those games, Tsitsipas did not make a single error on his backhand. So um, it's actually, it's kind of a Pavlov's dog scenario. You can run that type of pattern where you're like backhand, backhand, backhand. You finally give the guy a forehand, even up the middle, and he screws it up because he finally got what he wanted, but he's he's hit four backhands in a row. Um, so where the errors actually come or believe it or not off somebody's forehand, especially Tsitsipas in, in this type of a matchup. That's a great assessment and the whole role of the foreign. It's interesting, all levels of the game about what that means to attack a weakness. So, or to break down a guy's game or to have him overplay his strong shot. In a way, it's a it's a cousin of how, what Nadal would sometimes do to Federer where Roger had so many backhands and we'd get the forehand, you overhit it. And where do you hit it? And where does Stefanos hit the forehand? And Novak is so, is so in control of the um, geography of the court. Fine. What are you going to do if you're going to hit, you're going to hit 25 forehand winners against me? I'm not sure. I'm not so sure. You're probably not going to hit them inside out to my backhand. So I know you're going cross court. And I mean, it's just it's just such a it's such a chess game, but it becomes bad math for Tsitsipas because Novak mm-hmm. is such a good mover and able to get so much depth and secure off both sides. You know, it's just it's fascinating. Well, let's say you continuously go to the ad side of the court. There are so many issues with that, right? First of all, he ends up camping there, which means when he hits his backhand, he's not under pressure. You know, he's already there. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second thing is he ends up hitting forehands from the backhand side of the court. Mm -hmm. And that's the worst thing. Like that's that's the one thing that you can't afford to let him do. So, yeah, you have to go to the deuce side. You have to put him on the run that way. And I think what Djokovic does so well is uh, move the ball around the court change direction. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. about peppering the backhand or peppering mm-hmm. the forehand. You don't want to do that either. Move the ball. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's what he does so well against Steph. I will say uh, the breaks of serve, Amy, I charted this match also. Mm-hmm. Bad forehand errors. Not not just any forehand errors. I mean, they yeah. were they were easy forehands, right? Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's, it's I, I don't know if I don't know what your preferred uh, stroke is, but I'm a forehand dominant player and I have a one-handed backhand. And I can tell you that if I've been defending on my backhand side and I finally get that juicy forehand, I think to myself, my thought process is I got to do something with this forehand because I may not get another one in this point in this rally. So you know, it, it, it makes it easy to try to do too much or to mistime it. Um, it it's human nature, really. I well, totally I, agree with that. Go ahead, Joel. Forehand people. 
Yeah, I'm not a forehand. Yeah. I'm, more of a, I'm, I'm more of a backhand person, but I, I, a one-hander though. So I'm trying to get to net. So I think for a guy like Steph and for people who are seeking, who are going to try to uh, trouble Novak in these coming years, the movement is forward. The movement is, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not out rallying this guy. I mean, Rafa on clay, I get it, but mostly with Novak, you're not doing that. And even what Medvedev did in the U.S. Open final, I, th- I view as kind of an outlier. And I think of a lot of the stuff was going on with Novak in that match. But I think, I think the play, if you're CC passes, how do I get in a position to attack Novak, to force him to hit passing shots from certain kind of positions in certain ways I've constructed the points. He's not going to become Patrick Rafter, but that's how it is because you're really, you're really on a fool's mission if you try to, if you think you're going to kind of out rally and out base on a guy like Novak. Yeah, but I definitely think the the dynamic that Amy's referring to, where it's like, oh, I better win the point because I actually have a forehand. I think that's a, a huge issue uh, with Tsitsipas because he he's missing his forehand. His forehand is better than how much he misses on it, and it's because he's trying to force the issue and do too much. And Joel, I guess to your point, he could take a little bit off the forehand if he just hit it as an approach shot instead of trying to trying to crush it. And to be fair, this is a guy who has jumped to four in the world. He did make the finals of this tournament. He played well. He's an elite player. So we're really talking about just the matchup against Novak. Right. Well, this is the deal. This is the deal. I mean, Keisha, he could he could go talk to um, Thomas Burdick about the Federer matchup. You know, it's like we've got 15, 20 years of these four to eight ranked players, you know, seeking to take down these guys. You know, right, and and do so and earn wins against them on their non-dominant surfaces. You know, and away from Nadal on clay or Federer on grass. So it's don't come easy. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of '90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that learn more at marines.com so uh, Craig Tiley gave an interview recently um, and said that he, he and Tennis Australia are not going to get involved this time around uh, with Djokovic's entry into Australia. Uh, important to keep in mind that uh, Djokovic has always been welcome to play the Australian Open if he's able to enter the country. Um, now, last year, Tennis Australia, Craig Tiley, they were heavily involved in facilitating uh, Djokovic and other players' entry into the country. Apparently, they have made an adjustment from last year's terrible debacle, and they are now going to do what the USTA did and say, look, we're hands off. We have nothing to do with this. Um, that's between Djokovic and the Australian government. Uh, Amy, do you think that this is 
a, a correct correction to what happened last year? Yeah, for Tylee not to put himself in the middle of it again. I mean, he's he's lucky that he still has a job, really, because last year was a complete debacle, and a lot of it came down on him. Um, now, he's runs a wonderful tournament and all that, but, but this was a mess last year. So as a fan of tennis um, and, and as a fan of Djokovic, as well as you know, many other players. Um, I want to see Novak play. And I do not want the arguing and the bickering. I want it the decision to be made sooner rather than later with clarity, no limbo. Um, but you, you tune into the Australian news media and they're already arguing about it. You know, there was um, a former minister, uh, Karen... Andrews, I want to say, sorry if I didn't get that right. She's saying she doesn't think that Novak should be allowed to, to come into the country because that would mean him getting special treatment. Um, I mean, in my opinion, and I've stated this before, I think he deserves special treatment because he's one of the greatest tennis players to ever play the sport. And that brings a lot of cachet and enthusiasm and economic um, growth and opportunities so um and goodwill so he is special and I, I do think that he should be allowed to play but it's not my country but i just want clarity guys i just want yeah, clarity uh, it'd be nice to get some clarity on it and have it become a whole long-standing political kerfuffle but i do know um australians i know this firsthand in many ways australians do not enjoy the notion of special treatment they enjoy everyone enjoys clarity but the idea of someone, oh, come on in because you're X, that's kind of, that's not the value, that's, uh, that's not exactly the Australian core value, that it is another, there were other countries have certain things that they allow that to happen. So I just hope it gets resolved quickly, clearly, and we can just move on and enjoy watching Novak play. And I think Craig Tiley, I think they saw, yeah, what, what was gonna work better this year? Try it again, Tennis Australia, and this stuff, all the stuff that happened last year was so complicated and muddled and nobody came out looking particularly good from it. So let's just, I hope Novak gets the chance to play there. Yeah, me too. And uh, boy, I'd love to press a button and just know the answer. I'm, I'm totally with you guys because as, uh, as unique as last year's situation was to cover uh, as, you know, from a journalist perspective, I mean, no thank you to, to that again. I mean, that... Anyway, uh, to answer my own question about Tylee, last year was a display, and look, I have nothing against him other than other than this, uh, but there was so much gross incompetence that was displayed in how that was handled uh, that, yeah, uh, this would be a, a, a good example of I, I don't want the guy with the law degree doing surgery again. Uh, Craig Tiley is the tournament director of of the Australian Open as the president of Tennis Australia. He was the former uh, men's tennis coach at, at the University of Illinois. He built a powerhouse there. He's clearly very, very good at many, many things. But as soon as he tried to uh, become the chaperone in Australia's policy with COVID and immigration, uh, he could not have done any worse. So the fact that he is stepping away from, from that, 
uh, I think is is a positive, and I I look at it. I think Novak fans might look at it as, oh my God, you're not gonna you're not gonna help. Uh, this is terrible. Uh, no, I wouldn't look at it like that. Look what happened when he tried to help last year. He hurt uh, because he told Novak, green light, come. He got the plane ticket. Novak arrived, and then we don't have to go through what happened. So it would have been so much better. Um, had we not had that intervention last year. And uh, I, I think that, that he's doing the right thing this year. And they're also confusing things, not just at the Tennis Australia end, but with the respective states and governments. Lots of confusion mm -hmm. at that end too. Yeah. There are mm -hmm. lots of confusion at that end too, right down to the, when it's finally determined why Novak couldn't go there. So yeah, it's a whole, I don't know, I just, again, I hope there's a, a way to be clear and, and move forward with it. Okay, uh, Federer news. He's not going to be the you know to to have a presence in Basel. It sounds like he doesn't he doesn't he's not ready for that. I think there was a lot um, of emotions and and uh, he needs some time basically. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm sure we'll see him in Basel at some point, but it's not going to be this year. Is that your read on the situation, Amy? That he just needs some time. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know I was uh, at a tennis team practice today and the the guy told us to you know take a break pick up the balls and for whatever reason on the speaker came that Coldplay song Viva La Vida which was played when at that moment that Roger you know finished up the match with Nadal and was getting that extended standing ovation and he burst into tears as soon as I heard that Coldplay song I was immediately taken back to that moment with Federer at the Laver Cup and I felt all the emotions again and I just thought like if I'm feeling this way Roger has got to need like a major come down from all this and a major break. Um, so yes, it's it's good that he just sort of step away and, and process it all and have, he said he wanted to have time to watch all the accolades and all the video montages that were done and that kind of thing. Maybe he'll watch our show. <laughs> Well, 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 we Hi, uh, Roger. <laughs> Hi, Roger. You can come on anytime. Yeah, you're welcome. We don't do many guests. We don't have many guests on the show, but Roger, we'll have you. That's right. Yeah. We'll gladly have you. Yeah. So long term, we've had some discussions off the air about where we see Roger's long term future, and uh, I have always, you know, I've been pretty, I felt pretty strongly that he's not going to coach and that he's not gonna commentate. Even though I know he said that thing about, oh, like maybe I'll you know, call some Wimbledon matches. I never thought I would, but maybe I will. Uh, to me, that would be a, you know, it sounds like he's like, I will dip my toe in and call a few matches, but I, I could not see him uh, signing a deal with uh, Eurosport. We can put it that way. Um, I just, I can't, cause he's never wanted to be opinionated about no, but I could see him signing a gig with BBC to call the Wimbledon final. So just come in, do one match. Uh, in other words, see, this is the thing with this is the Roger factor because he's so he's so bigger than life. He's so transcendental. Like just like just like ten years ago, yeah. And let's create an event that honors Rod Laver and you know and, and has this unique leaves his footprint into the sport. So and let's and coaching 
okay, no, I'm not going to see him booking practice courts for some player ranked lower way down the ranks and doing that and being a coach like that. But some role that bestows his wisdom upon the Swiss Junior Davis Cup team the with certain visitations. I mean, something I think what Roger's going to do is going to be something, it's going to be tennis, it's going to be familiar with this twist. It's like, wow, why didn't I think of that one? That would be like, like the Labor Cup. The Labor Cup, that, that could come up with someone. He didn't have to, that didn't come out of the, just like the, just like the Sabre. You know, the Sabre, that's a, oh, that's a hundred year old tactic. Coming on return, good, run a little. Uh, so what he's going to do, I, I, I can't wait to see, and it's going to, we won't know entirely for a while, but it'll take different forms. I like that, that take, Joel. It's like what he's going to do um, is probably something we haven't thought of because we're not Roger Federer. But I have actually a pretty definite and what I think is interesting opinion on this. I have racked my brain over this issue and, and really thought about former players in all different sports and what they do. And people may not like this and they might, may not want to admit it, but the best way to stay relevant and to stay involved and to stay out front is broadcasting. That really is because you're going to reach a lot of people and people are going to want to know your opinion on that point or that match or what that player did. Um, so I think he will eventually come around and do some broadcasting and it didn't surprise me when when he said that he might. Um, and I think we're going to we're all really going to enjoy it. Um, I think. Well, also with Roger Federer, though, I've never heard him say, I don't want to do that at all to anything. I mean, it's kind of like, it's, it's, that's why I called him years ago, the Sun King, you know, his graciousness upon all of us. And if that's a little bit of a, of a jest of him, so be it. But I mean, I, I adore him. I think he's fantastic. But I think for you know, if it's TV commentary, again, I don't see him doing again and again, but I could see him doing certain moments and we're going to pay deep attention to them. Um, and other things, I don't know, other things too. I mean, the, I think in tennis, the only thing more relevant than broadcasting is if you're coaching a significant player and you're in, and you have a presence with that player and you're in their box at major tournaments. But again, that would be him being the, um, a senior consultant. I don't see him going week, you know, giving some player. Yeah, I'll give you 27 weeks. I'll see you in Linz. Let's go here, Tuesday practice court. Something, yeah. something special in Swiss Davis Cup, Swiss, Swiss Billie Jean King Cup. I don't know. <laughs> but if he's not coaching at the slams, um, then the, the idea of staying out there and out front and relevant is like, you know, if he's coaching Davis Cup, there's not a, a ton of people paying attention to that. And I, I really, I don't see him coaching. And, and the big reason is the kids. I mean, he said on several occasions that he wouldn't have been able to do these last several years of his career if the kids couldn't have traveled with him. And he's got four of them. Um, so that's why I just don't see him doing much coaching. Right. So, but relevance, you know, it's funny. That's a long, interesting discussion about what constitutes relevance for a retired athletes and how that plays out across the ones who don't have 
significant money in the bank, that's a different thing about relevance. The ones who do, as Roger does, that determines how you want to do that because anything he does, see, some players, some ex-players, I won't say their names, they do these other things. They will not generate anything other than the thing itself. Anything Roger Federer does is going to generate news coverage. Mm-hmm. So if Roger Federer wants to create a summer tennis camp that he comes to uh, you know, once a week throughout the summer, and in the meantime, he has other people running it, that's relevant too, because he's so, you know, he's so, he's so big and powerful in the labor cup. I mean, I could see him eventually becoming the captain of that for mm-hmm. a time, yeah. but uh, uh, for, for sure. Nadal and Djokovic have an academy though, Joel. Federer does not. So there's a, there's a difference uh, yeah, right, but right I, there, you know, for example. Again, it's going to take on, I, okay. Okay. Here's the question then. Besides conjecturing what we think he might do, what would we want him to do just for ourselves? What would we want him? I mean, I don't know. I'd like to see him. Do, I'd like to see him do something that involves kids and helping them become versatile tennis players. You know, like, and, and it's like the way I like the way I've seen how Nadal's Academy has a whole character component and it fits in with some of the value in Uncle Tony. So I'd like to see that. What, what would you guys want? What would you want to see? Right. Come out of retirement. First of all. Come out of retirement. Oh, sorry. Okay. It's a whole sorry. series of, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, actually, I I would like to see him broadcast because I, I can guarantee you I'll be watching some marquee match and I will think to myself, what does Roger think about this right now? So if he's in the booth, now well, so perfect. the one thing, the think, one thing you, though, no. you can't be Switzerland in the booth. You can't <laughs> That's you, right. You, you have to be honest. Um, you have to be willing to be negative when the situation calls for it. You have to want your opinion to be known. Roger, I'm not saying he can't change and decide to be that. He has never been that. He does not. I mean, when has he ever decided to, you know, spew his take on on various matters? I mean, it's not really like him. And that's well, why I, I don't think, I think it'd be nice. Oh, welcome to the booth, guest appearance, BBC, Fetter, hello, you know, three matches. Okay, bye. He never does it again. I'm not saying that's not going to happen. And I've seen other people, you know, uh, other legends kind of participate in that. But to do the day in, day out broadcasting thing, I actually don't think that suits him. Well, I think the template is Jim Courier because he is able to not do the hot take thing and pour a ton of preparation into his broadcasting and the by the way the way he handled the um the on-court interview with Roger at the Labor Cup was like pitch perfect um and we don't really think of Jim Courier as spewing you know he's a great champion that 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 converted into broadcasting but you're to your point Gil he is opinionated he does tell it like it is, and he's not Switzerland. So if Roger were to study tapes, I would study Jim Courier's tapes. Um, so you want, you want uh, Roger Federer to become, um, so So it's funny. I wanted to do something, I wanted to do something with, with kids and players in some form of develop, skill development. I see Courier, yeah, but for what it's worth, I was with Jim Courier when he first worked in TV, his first TV gig at TNT Wimbledon 2000. And I've watched his work ethic and I've seen from the start, it was strong and it obviously gets refined and you see how he's, how he's researching things and, and he's doing a lot of homework. So um, 
be curious to see if a player with Roger Federer's playing style will be drawn to that. You know, you got to you got to match the playing style. You know, Jim Courier, you know, very hardworking in his way. So it'd be interesting to see. Okay, so that's what Amy wants Roger to be a broadcaster. I want him to do this other. Gil, what do you want Roger to do? And you can let say. Me, let me respond though. Let me respond. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't mean to use a negative word. I don't mean spewing, but here's an example of something Jim Courier will say during an Andre Rublev match. Andre Rublev's first serve is 130 miles per hour. His second serve is 80 and gets destroyed. Jim Courier will be the first person to say Rublev's second serve isn't good enough. It needs to be better. It's it's completely hurting his chances. It makes no sense why it's so slow and and it's almost unforgivable that it is the weakest second serve in the top 20 for no reason, right? Like he will eloquently lay that out using, you know, evidence and he's always spot on and he's always fair, but is Roger Federer going to say this guy's second serve is a problem? I don't understand. I don't know. You know, I, even if he didn't, I'd still forgive him and want to hear what he has to say. It's funny to hear what he has to say. <laughs> well, that's going to be interesting. Like if Federer does do something like, if he does do TV, just hearing him talk about anything, even if it's kind of like, wow, it's really interesting to watch Rublev hit his second serve. Oh, Roger. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Gil, your point that. is taken. Your point is taken. I, I get yeah. it. Like he'll have some work to do and he may have to go through some changes. Um, those are good tips from the Syracuse grad. When the ex-player first does the commentary, they're also no. They're also talking about people who they played. So, yeah. so a guy like Roger, Jim is talking about someone who he hasn't played, and so he's analyzing him at this stage. Roger will be asked. So, when you played Rublev, Andre was always great to play. A wonderful guy. And I remember we we spent <laughs> three days in Dubai when we played nine sets, and you know, and then and that was that itself will be satisfying. I mean, it's already feel that already will have the ice cream quality to it of like Roger speaks. Roger's still speaking as, oh, good. Run the highlight of him playing Rublev, please. Thank you. You know, just like, here's Roger. Here's Roger at the party. So, okay. So what do you want him to do, Gil? You can have him do TV too. No, I want him to have a, a leadership role um, in tennis. And that doesn't necessarily mean be on the inside. But I think as a businessman, this whole Labor Cup venture and um, you know some of the investments he's made. Uh, UTR is something he's been involved in as well. Uh, I, I think in that CEO-like role, just um, you know, as long as he, as as long as he, I, I want him to try to revolutionize the sport and make it as fan-friendly as possible, and and use his his brain power in that way. I mean, look, I wouldn't mind if he replaced, um, you know. Now look, this. Andrea Gaudenzi just started and he's not going anywhere, but you know, that kind of thing. I would, I would love to see that. Um, but I don't know that it might be Federer less. So, you know, Gaudenzi being okay. CEO of the ATP Federer might be CEO of Federer INC, um, instead, you know what I mean? Well, maybe teammate, for example, teammate has some players and maybe his role becomes not just the business strategic, but okay. So let's say Roger's teammates and Coco Goff is teammates and they both have the Barella agreement or maybe it's some other agreements that Roger's harnessing the power of the teammate client base to do something, to leave some kind of imprint. Again, I just think, I think it's kind of like a, you know, like a creative brainstorming session of kind of like the familiar roles in tennis, but the Roger way of doing them. Like, for example, I think 
I think there's no way on God's earth he wants a job like a Denzi. And I think we'd all agree with that, you know, to actually be in an operational yeah. role ever. Agreed. I that agree. doesn't mean he doesn't become a tournament director in a different kind of way. That doesn't mean he doesn't become a, a, a certain kind of coach, a certain kind of broadcaster or something else. I don't know. It's exciting. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. We should have like a sweepstakes. <laughs> and the interesting thing about this is Federer has said over and over again in this process, I'm not going to disappear. So it's not like we're all talking about this and then he's going to go do a Pete Sampras and then right. our conversation is for naught. That's not happening. So he's going to do something and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what. That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate if you leave a rating and a review on Apple. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.